senator. Two Jedi knights and a fumbling amphibian. I would have thought the prince would be easier to capture than the four of you. It must be part of our plan. I had the exact same thought. Don't touch me! Let go of her! <laughs> Rack him up! Lisa, don't like this. Oh, that's a pinchy cracker! Tamsin! Leave them alone. Do not worry, Jedi. There's plenty of suffering to go around. Ah, uh, eels. Very dangerous. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Welcome back to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the sixth year history of the Emmy award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. We've got a great episode coming up for you guys this week. we got the Mon Cala arc from the beginning of Season 4. Season 4, we are past the halfway point now and, you know, the end is almost in sight. Not, it's not close. It's a, it's a light off there in the distance now as we uh, as we race towards it with really some great episodes that we can't wait to talk about. Uh, but before we do that, uh, introductions are in order. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran. Hello, hello, Dominic. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it's, it's December 7th as we're recording this, and, you know, it's getting into the Christmas spirit. I've got my Lego Star Wars advent calendar and have been opening it up each day. And uh, a few days ago, got a nice little uh, Lego clone trooper with Santa hat, which is always nice. It's always nice. <laughs> Sounds very nice. Very nice. I sadly, Dominic, have not got my advent calendar. So feel free to lambast, berate me, whatever <laughs> you want to do, folks. But I will eventually get to it. But the good thing is, though, when I eventually do purchase this advent calendar, I will be able to consume seven chocolates at once, which yeah. is obviously a fun task. Yeah, well, see, I remember one year when I was little, um, my mom bought advent calendars, but she she forgot she bought them, you know, like at the beginning of November, and she forgot to give them to me and my brother until the new year, and so we got to just eat all the chocolate at once. And the other thing I would do when I was little with when I would have the chocolate advent calendars is I would open up several days in advance and eat all the chocolates and then i would have to like have like several days where i didn't get a chocolate because i was i was greedy and wanted to eat it all at once but you know that's that's patient that's, patience yeah. is a virtue that's, isn't that what they say that, don't it? yeah that's that's the way of the dark side if you want it all at once you know patience patience is a jedi trait 
Um, but enough exactly. Of... Master Yoda would not be impressed. Yeah, no, I, I disappointed Yoda. I, I feel like I disappoint Yoda on a regular basis. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But I did when – I, when I was at New York Comic Con uh, um, a few months back, I bought a, um, a Santa Yoda um, plushie. And it's, it's, it's Yoda with a Santa hat and a, a candy cane cane. And a, I've got it here and it's – it, it's it's hilarious. It's pretty ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's one of those. Is, is that your way to try and repay your debt then to Yoda yeah. for for eating all those chocolates? I will buy some Yoda merchandise to make Yoda up for it. Yeah, and then he can he can make sure I don't open my Lego. Um, you know, <laughs> in advance, I, I have to follow the rules and open it one day at a time. Um, but enough about disappointing Yoda with Adran calendars. How did we get on to that? Um, Let's I don't know. I don't know, but poor Yoda, if you are listening, we yeah. we do love you, really. Yes, yes, Yoda. Yoda. Yoda's awesome. Yoda's like one of my favorite characters. But um, that's neither here nor there because Yoda's not really in these episodes. I mean, he's got a bit of a cameo, um, but he's he's he's, he's a small role. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. Uh, but let's let's talk about these episodes. We got the the trilogy of of Mon Calamari episodes uh, to kick off season four. Do you have episode descriptions for us this week, Kieran? I do indeed, Dominic. We'll kick off with the first episode, Water War. When the king of Mon Cala is assassinated, talks break down between the Mon Calamari people and the Quarren, co-inhabitants of the aquatic world. To stop a civil war, the Republic sends Padme Amidala and Anakin Skywalker, but unbeknownst to them, the Quarren are already being backed by the Separatists. Now the Jedi must protect Mon Cala's new leader, the young Prince Lee Char, from the attack. The second episode in this arc is named Gungan Attack. Anakin Skywalker and the rest of his Jedi team have been overrun by the Separatist surprise attacks led by Rift Tamsin, while Prince Lee Char and Ahsoka with Kit Fisto must evade capture on their own. Unable to summon more Republic aid, Yoda calls upon the help of the powerful and amphibious Gungan Grand Army, but whether they will be enough to stop the Separatist siege is uncertain, as my poster falls from my wall. <laughs> Prisoners, my third episode in this arc. The Republic and Gungan forces have been captured by Rift Tamsin and his Karkarodan Kar- enforcers. I, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Apologies, you Karkadons. Uh, Karkadon, I say. Perhaps. Yeah, Karkadon, yeah. Anyhow, moving on swiftly. (laughs) Now, now it is up to Ahsoka and the young Prince Lee Char to unite the fractured people of Moncala and drive out the Separatist invaders. Quite an eventful episode synopsis there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you start an episode. Well, um, let's just start off uh, by by giving overall impressions of of this arc and and if they've changed in the now, let's see, this aired in 2011, so three years since they first aired. I think that these episodes in particular... Oh, definitely some some of the best. I I really enjoy the opening to Clone Wars seasons because the premiere arc or episodes are usually phenomenal. They're a fantastic aesthetic spectacle. It it succeeds in drawing the audience back into that wartime atmosphere by showcasing the war. Whether it would be in season three when you have the Camino Camino arc, which was very very good, you then have the Moncala arc. You've got the Darth Maul stuff in season five, Order sixty six in season six. 
I think all of that is is important to to bring and draw the audience back into the Clone Wars time period, and it does it very effectively. But also, upon each season, you see that the animation progresses, and mm. the achievement that the Clone Wars team have have completed in this particular arc should not be underestimated. Don't forget, it was only a season ago when we were talking about how difficult it was to actually project rainfall. Um, yeah. And they were struggling so much with actually having a scene underwater in Arc Troopers episode when Obi Wan was was under the water and found the the covert separatist operation implemented there. And now they've done a whole arc based in water. And might I say, very very effectively as well. I think it was executed as as, as to, to near perfection in my opinion. Oh yeah. So overall impressions of this arc. I think that it was a great, great way to open up season season four and really, I think, sustain what was the, the great back half or back end of, of season two, the second half of, uh, sorry, back half of season three even. I, I, I can't even get my chronology straight. <laughs> now I understand the difficulty for the Clone Wars team. But the back half of, the back half of season three, and I think this, again, just sustains it. It was great action piece for all of you action lovers out there i guess um, and there were some great characters as well that were introduced for the first time in the clone wars and there were some recurring characters from the original trilogy that also have been introduced in this one which i'm sure we'll go into depth later in this talk but over to you dominic what yeah. were your initial thoughts and have they changed at all since you've seen them three years ago i no, that, that hasn't changed i i still really really enjoy these episodes i, I think they're a they're you know, they, we talk a lot about sort of turning points and, and, you know, at what point does the series sort of go to places it's never been before and and, and all that kind of stuff. And it, it almost seems like after, after you know, the midpoint of season three, after the uh, Savage Press, after Savage Press, Press shows up on the, on the scene, everything is, is different. And, you know, this episode is, is, is no different in, in that sense. You know, it's a big battle, which we, you know, we, we've seen some pretty big battles before. Um, you know, this is, you know, one, it's visually different, but two, we also, we really go inside a, a, a sort of a prison camp and we really get, uh, you know, evil separatists. You know, we had a, a little bit of that in season one with the Ryloth episodes and the uh, and the Twi'leks being used to guard the guns and, the, and that kind of stuff. Um, and that would, you know, that was dark, but we never really went inside a, a prison camp before. And, and we did, we did in these episodes. And that's something that, um, you know, gets revisited later in this season when we see Obi-Wan as a slave in, uh, in the slavers arc. But, you know, we'll get to that at a certain point, but this sort of was, was our first really, you know, going inside there. And we, we see, you know, Rift Tamsin talking about, you know, having the women and the children and the men and everyone in in these uh, prison camps and you know really going to some dark places and and yeah and then but we also got some really uh, very interesting characters. We had Nosarai and, and Lee Char were both uh, were both characters I look really really I'm looking forward to discussing t- today and and also of course uh, it's an attack or, or or a trap or what have you. Uh, Captain Akbar was great to see and not only that we get some fun stuff with Anakin and, and Ahsoka and Padme and and, uh, and 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 Jar Jar of course Jar Jar and and, and Kit Fisto and and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, really it's a it's a great arc. It's a great arc well let's start off just by talking about the, the sort of the the historical tensions between the moncala and the Quarren. i mean we we get the impression in these episodes that you know 
these two sides have never really seen eye to eye. Are we to understand that they are both native to the planet Mon Calamari or did one show up at a later point or because, um, you know, it, it's 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 very interesting to see these two very advanced species, uh, you know, both existing on this planet it's, it's not something we've, we've seen before in star wars usually you know you go to a planet and there are you know there are the natives and then uh, you know whether that's wookies or thorians or, or what have you and then there's you know off-worlders with humans and and, and what whatever um and, and this is the first time we sort of see a planet with two seemingly native uh species that are at war with each other and you know you get the impression lee char's father kind of ease these tensions but they clearly have existed so I, i'm just curious what would you think of seeing these sort of historical tensions between the, the moncala and the core and sort of on display in these episodes yeah, it was very very compelling the the immediate thought that raced my mind was i guess as well because i'm a history student i try to to, to glean parallels in the past and I try mm-hmm. to think where where's the inspiration come from because there must have been examples of this and there are two different case studies which I can pinpoint and these are just my interpretations whether they're right or wrong it's up for debate but this situation in my opinion reflects a, a monarchical succession crisis that's that's how it all comes about and you have one particular domineering group and you have one which is seemingly in theory, but clearly they're coexisting and they do have quite a lot of political power. So the way you could see this is either a bit like the Americans and the Native Indians, and I, w- I would place, say, the Moncala <laughs> as, as, as the Americans and the Quarren as the Native Indians, whether you want to use that example, I don't know, but that was maybe one way of seeing it, in a sense that there were two groups already there, and at first they were collaborating together, but obviously the, the Moncala were the domineering part, party, but again, that's, it doesn't really follow the trend of these episodes, so I, that, that's what I think historically may, it may have been like, but... Again, that's that's one interpretation. Another one, though, which which might be a bit more apt, was the the Austro-Hungarian Empire, where you have the Austrians and the Hungarians, principally two of the domineering groups in a multi-ethnic empire, and you have an emperor who is Austrian, but there is also this political senate where you have hungarians and austrians and they're collaborating together so there's a political cooperation there maybe that's more apt for this in the Mm -hmm. sense that you have two two domineering powers and yet one one particular species or in 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 the historical case one particular nation um one particular um, uh, ethnic group was domineering and therefore it, it seemed as though that it was that, that that with this succession crisis, it, w- it was partly linked on, in my opinion, to the fact that it was a Moncala. There was a bit of, you know, if you want to, if you want to term it, racial, racial factors in here, in my opinion, as though to say that they didn't want to have a Moncala who was who was on the throne, uh, or in this case, be specious. You know, um, I don't know if you could draw those similar parallels there. But that, the point with the historical case studies is I was trying to find an example where there were two particular distinct ethnic groups collaborating together in in this political realm. 
Um, and I, I found it quite difficult, I have to say. It wasn't something that immediately jumped out to me. I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that. But I will say this much. How this crisis comes about is definitely historically, um, is, is historically re- repetitive, I would say. The idea or the conception of a monarchical succession crisis has often been the trigger and spark for wars centuries ago. Uh, I, I could think about of three, four occurring ones in Europe around the 18th century that were constantly over the issue of who was to succeed the monarch. And this is the same thing here again. The, the king was assassinated. Who would replace him? <laughs> At which point now Dominic is having a coughing fit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm going to draw my argument to a close now and I will go over to you. I don't know if you have any thoughts about the whole political... I guess, turmoil and, and the history surrounding Moncolor and Quarren. Uh, it was quite a long-winded answer I gave there, but yeah. I, 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 see, I see what your interpretations are. I probably read too much into it. Well, you see, I, I, I think it, it made a lot of sense. It was very plausible. And, you know, like, like you've pointed out, taken, you know, right out of the pages of history that there are two species uh, or peoples, we'll say, living in one space. And naturally, there's going to be some kind of uh, conflict over who gets to gets to speak for the the space in general uh and we see in in these episodes we see you know the people you know driven apart by Rift Tamsin and then brought together when they realize that hey Rift Tamsin's not such a nice guy he's a pretty pretty evil guy to be honest and he wants to imprison people and and kill people and he's not a good person not a good not not a good carcanon <laughs> and 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 yeah i i totally see it i thought it was it was very interesting and it was a it was a good place for the series to go i thought they 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 handled it very well and yeah i think they they pulled it off um well let's talk about rift Hampson. he is the uh, the separatist commander uh, brought in by the Quarren, sent there by Count Dooku, basically to to instigate a civil war. <laughs> um, so um, he, his goal is clearly he wants to be the ruler of of Moncala, and this this seems to be a, a poorly thought through plan by Dooku and and Tamsin. I, I have to say, I, it, it you know the the Quarren don't want a Moncala leader, so why would they want a a, a Carcadon leader, you know. It seems like uh, by having a complete outsider come in and and take over as as ruler of Moncala, um, Dooku and Tamsin are kind of sealing their fate. They're kind of you know they're 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 just they're asking for it. They they they're going to drive the the Corrin back to the Moncala, which is what they did um, because. You know they're the lesser of two evils, and Nosserai, although he's clearly a a Quarren supporter first and foremost, he he liked Leechar's father, and he likes Leechar to an extent, and as we see in these episodes, so uh, it it seems like you know that Separatist plan was was doomed before it even started. Well, I'm not I'm not so sure I would completely agree with that. I do think that there were flaws. Don't get me wrong in in the plan there and how it was implemented. I think the crux of it, in my opinion, was that they wanted to kill, assassinate Prince Lee Char because Dooku did recognise it uh, in the second episode. 
He is a vocal figure. He is a symbol for the people, regardless of whether he has any political expertise, regardless of how intelligent he is. He is a figurehead that the people can attach themselves to. If they remove him, no one seems to really want No Sarai, and he <laughs> seems as though he he can easily nobody be... likes No Sarai. <laughs> well, no, it seems to be that way though. But, yeah. I mean, particularly that the Moncala won't accept it. And I think that he's easily swayed is the opinion that Dooku, Dooku really gets from it. Um, and obviously, you can see that throughout these episodes, there is a clear intention to, well, to throw in elements that aren't from the Moncala planet, but actually from the Karkadon planet, whether it was those Hydra Medusas or whether it was the, the Karkadon soldiers slowly it was it was eroding the the culture and and the the law and order of moncala and replacing it with what it was akin to whatever whatever it was like in Karkadon. we can only we can only get a small idea from what we see in these episodes what Karkadon was like so slowly but surely they're trying to eliminate it and also you have to argue that the gungans did play a role as well they were obviously a third party which helped the Moncala and the Quarren cause there and the clones. Um, it'd be interesting to see whether without the clones and the Gungans, whether they would have been as successful. I think right. there are other factors that you can consider there, but no, I do understand that the plan that Dooku and Tamsin had in place was a little bit flawed, but I can see where it was coming from. I think if it was implemented maybe subtler or it was more, or if they had managed to kill Prince Lee Char, maybe the results would have would have been successful for a short time, at least, or at least longer than it was, which yeah. was like a day or something <laughs> <Yeah>. ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, see, I think, I think the the flaw was Rift Hampson. Rift Hampson wanted the power for himself, and I think if Rift Hampson had have been more content to be a a ruler from behind the scenes, had have let Nosrai be sort of the figurehead. No, that's, that's exactly what you're uh, right there. Yeah, about. because I, I think it was Rift Hampson that ultimately sent Nosarai, uh, who who is clearly respected by the Quarren, and the Quarren will listen to him. Um, sent, you know, he was the one that sort of turned the tide because, um, you know, Lee Char points out between the clones and the Moncala and, and the Quarren and the Gungans, they they outnumbered the the Separatist droids. Uh, so there there are outside factors on both sides here. Um, you know that that are that impact the outcome, and I I just think that Nosarai, I just think that Nosarai he fell into the typical separatist trap, which is the separatists they tell you uh, this is what we're going to do, and they they help you you know gain power, they help you overthrow you know the prince, or or they'll help you get supplies to your planet or or whatever, um, and then as soon as as soon as that's done, they sort of take over and. That's really what happened here, and it's what we've seen happen. We saw it happen in season one with Bombad Jedi. These, these these episodes all seem to involve Jar Jar for some reason. So Jar 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 Jar's, <laughs> Jar Jar's like separatist kryptonite. As soon as Jar Jar is on the scene, um, as we'll see when we talk about Shadow Warrior in a few weeks, <laughs> uh, then things. Start well, you could also you could also argue they tried to do something similar with Mandalore as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They tried to do something similar with Mandalore, and they. You know when they when they do that when they 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 take over they wind up driving the you know the people that people like Nosrai or or Uncle Anno who think normally but are just desperate um, they sort of show show them 
you know, this is not the that this is not the way they want to do things. They, they, you know, Nosrai realizes that the separatist way is not a good way, and he winds up going back over to Lee Char and saying, "Yeah, sorry, I'll help you now." <laughs> and so I think that's that's ultimately the separatist flaw is that they they you know they thrive on power and they want power. They, they you know the, these separatist leaders. Or, or commanders, mm. they want power, and as a result, uh, they wind up alienating the people that they were supposedly helping, and those people wind up turning on them, and that's what happens in this episode. And so, I, I think that's sort of the flaw in the separatist way in general is just this sort of this desire, this this the fact that they they cater to these commanders that are power hungry, and as a result of, of their power yeah. hungriness, they drive the the good people that. You know, maybe thought, hey, maybe the separatist way is the way to go. Um, back into realizing, oh yeah, those guys are evil. I should go back to the Republic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I could I could completely agree with that. And I think a good parallel to make as well in in how what you were talking about with Rift Tamsin working behind the scenes and having that the leader Nosarai as the figurehead, how it was successfully implemented was with Darth Maul and, and Prime Minister Almec. Yeah. Darth Maul was working behind the scenes, and Almec was the figurehead, the prime minister, who was pretty much spouting whatever Darth Maul had to say. Um, but having a the figurehead there, it was enough to galvanize support for the government and, and actually um, institute the government's legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you said, Riff Tamsin wanted it for himself and overtly enunciated as much. It was clear from from the midpoint of prisoners when he said my throne room i'm going to sit on my throne and and no survivor was sitting next to him in that small little seat in the in the throne room yeah that who was leader who was top dog and of course that would that, that as you said there is something that has plagued a lot of the separatist leaders the lust for power yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely let's talk a little bit about no Sarai. i mean he was like like we've said, he's kind of he may have had sort of noble intentions of you know the Quarren should have their have their turn ruling Moncala. I mean it's clearly been the the, the Moncala, Moncalamari who have ruled for a long time. You know Lechar is obviously the latest in a long line of a, a monarchy, um, but he he gets caught up in this separatist trap and he like like characters we've seen before, like we've mentioned, like Uncle Anno, he kind of realizes hey. Not so smart. I mean, Nosrai is almost a tragic character in that sense. You know, he, he he's. I don't think he's acting maliciously. He doesn't. You know, he he's not out for power for himself. He's out for what he thinks is best for his species, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. In the same way that as as you've alluded to earlier with Onakanda Far as the example, mm-hmm. they wanted to do what was right for their people. They've had honorable and they had integral intentions. But ultimately, they were just they. Well, let's be honest. They were they were manipulated by the separatists. They were misled to believe that they would actually ascend to their to the distinguished position and help out their people. But in reality, the separatists just want power, mm. and they want to control the, as many star systems as they can in this galactic civil war. And ultimately, they're obviously going to fall short of that. It doesn't always align with the interests 
the separatists' interests and the interests of the ruler that the separatists are aiding. And it has been a number of cases where friction has occurred between them. But, Mm -hmm. um, as you said, quite fortunately, Jar Jar is there to save the day. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, I, I... I mean, what's your opinions on Osirai? Do you, do you have sympathy for him and, and his intentions? Or do you think that ultimately siding with the separatists is always going to be a bad idea? And surely by this point in the war, he should have realized that. I See, I, I do have sympathy for him. I think he does. I think he's trying to do something. Uh, you know, I think he's trying to do something noble by his people. I, I think that's, you know, commendable. Um, and... You know, I, I don't know if necessarily siding with the separatists automatically makes him a bad thing. We we know that there are good people within the separatists, and we we saw that with the Bonteris. So there there are good people in in the separatists. Um, just those people don't seem to be running the the military operations. And so <laughs> I, I guess the idea on, on his part is you know we'll bring in the sep- we'll, we'll we'll see if we can get some support from the separatists because clearly he realizes this means. This means war, um, civil war on, on Moncala, and so when they, so he he needs backup, and he knows that Moncala will have the support of the Republic, so he goes to the separatists, and you know I don't think anybody can necessarily be blamed for going to the separatists. They do have, I mean th- that's the thing. The separatists are technically right. I mean the Republic is corrupt. Uh, it is ruled by by a bad person, a Sith Lord. Although you know nobody really knows that. So there, there there's. The separatists, in general, the the ideal the ideals of the separatists are sympathetic to those of us that that know what's really going on in the republic, uh, and so it it does make sense from that standpoint. Um, but uh, I, I, on the other hand, you know, he does go along with with Riv Tamsin for quite some time, um, but you know, on the other other hand, he does come around <laughs> in the end and realize that. You know, Rift Hamsen's not probably the guy he wants to be uh, standing next to when the war is over. He he wants to, you know, he he doesn't. Rift Hamsen's not the guy he wants leading his people, and and clearly that's what Rift Hamsen wanted. So he he turned around. So yeah, I I do have sympathy for Nosarai, especially because he did come around uh, in the end, and he realized what was what he was doing was wrong. All right, well let's uh, let, let's talk about let's talk about Captain Akbar. Um, you know, we saw Admiral Akbar in Return of the Jedi. Uh, he said it's a trap. Um, he pointed out the uh, <laughs> you know he, he had the plan for the Death Star. So clearly he's a, a military, a, 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 an important military figure, um, and we get to see him sort of as, as a young man, as a when he was just a captain on on his home planet. Um, Simply, what did you think of seeing seeing Akbar in, in in this? And did he did his portrayal sort of match up with the with what you saw uh, with what we saw in, in Return of the Jedi? Oh, his character was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. it was so good to see Captain Akbar um, prior to his admirable admiral title in Episode Six. Yeah, he, he and he also had a very prominent role. It could have been easy to really discount his character maybe have him in there throw him in there as a cameo and be like oh yeah we get to see Akbar woohoo but it was more than that and he played an integral part an integral role in actually developing Prince Lee Char's character who of course was seemingly the vocal point or one of the vocal points in this arc as he becomes the king and Akbar as an advisor was equally 
as proficient as he was a military commander. And I thought that was something that was also evident in his character for episode six. I could see there was uh, episode six, obviously the film. So I, was, I, I, I see that there was the diplomatic side in Akbar, but also in the military commanding disposition of his character. And I think that was clearly stated in these episodes and it works very, very well. Particularly in War to War, I feel that he had a, a, a huge role. A whole, he played a huge role and part in developing the prince's character. I mean, one particular moment that that, sh- that struck out to me was when he, he's in the middle of the battlefield and you can see the prince is in the background. He goes he goes to the back and he says, "Look, they're cheering for you," and they're like, "Well, they're not. They're not. They're not cheering for me." And he says, "Well, then make it for you." And he gives him a weapon and he, and he pushes him into the firing line. And then by the end of the arc, you can see the prince is there. He's shooting down the droids. He's shooting down the Carcodons. He's, you know, it's a madman almost. He's turned into, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Armageddon or something. You know, and <laughs> uh, and I think that was something that Captain Akbar that that, that that was successfully did. And another good moment as well is is the humorous side, I guess, to him and the, the the fact that he's in the middle of a war zone and he's shooting down all these droids and then he just he lets out a, a, a massive laugh, doesn't he? When he's yeah, <laughs> you know, when I'm talking about in the middle of war to war, and I'm just thinking we're in a like a devastating and a, a, a cataclysmic war here. You know, Quarans and Moncala are being shot down on either side. Rift Tamsin's breaking clones back and things like that with his with his, you know, his shark head. And it's just he's in there in the middle of it, just just shouting and shrieking and having a bit of fun, yeah. <laughs> seemingly. And it's and it's just something of his characters so complex, but it works so well. Um, it functioned so effectively in the in these episodes and definitely helped endear myself even more to his character i'd already very much enjoyed him in episode six enjoyed his character watching his character but by by this arc by the end of this arc i I thought this is a phenomenal character and i'd love to see him come up in rebels i really would i think that would be a great great a great asset for the show to uh, to bring in really and yeah. over to you, Dominic. Yeah. Thoughts on Captain Akbar. Yeah, well, I, I love I loved seeing Akbar. I thought it was great that they brought him in. It made sense. You can't do an episode on, on Mon Calamari, a war episode, without having Captain Akbar. Uh, you know, and he, he his character fit in perfectly with what we knew uh, in Return of the Jedi. Uh, you know, he his uh, you know you understand after seeing this why he became such a key figure in the rebellion. You know. 30 years later and uh, yeah I, I thought it was great he was he was clearly inspirational to lee char he, he knew how to how to lead a battle and uh and yeah and it was it was cool that they uh they, they gave his ridiculous little uh stick thing uh, i made turn that into a weapon which was cool um and you know i i, I remember when these episodes were coming out there were some people that, that were saying it was you know kind of ridiculous that they were bringing in akbar you know it was you know, everybody in in the galaxy knows everybody apparently and and it makes it this this a smaller smaller universe but you know those same people would have been saying <laughs> if, if if akbar hadn't have shown up where's akbar you can't do an episode on this planet without akbar and and so they they pulled him off to perfection the guy who who played him did a great job uh, blanking on his name uh, and, and it, yeah, it was That's all, yeah, it was all around good. And then, you know, they didn't, they resisted doing it's a trap, but they, uh, they, they did throw in, it's an attack, which is, uh, you know, just as 
just as, as just the same, pretty much the same thing as saying it's a trap, which was which was great to see. I, I, I really I'm really glad that they brought Akbar into the series in this way. Absolutely, and just to add a, a final point on his character, there, I think it was, he, as you said, there, an inspirational leader, and I think it's obvious why he became so prominent in the in the council for the rebellion. He had those close ties with the Jedi, and also he he was so good at those speeches, particularly that one in Water War when he says, "This is your home." Do not let it fall. Apologies if that's your quote there, Dominic. No, no, I'm, no, no. Nicked it. I haven't used it. But nevertheless, just that speech there, enticing his troops, invigorating them, and making them believe that they're fighting for a worthy cause. And you could see they were pumped up as they as they went out there and fought against the Quarrington. Uh, sorry, against the Quarren. And I think that was very, very effectively executed in these episodes to see that part of his character. And and again, as you said, there people who are the dissidents, I guess, about having Akbar in this in this arc. Well, of course he's going to be there. He has to be a prominent figurehead in this war. He needs to have the experiences which will propel him to a position of high authority in the Rebel Council. It's these experiences which really, I guess, help to create his disposition and, and his character, the personality that we see. And the and the wise, prudent military commander. That's who we're seeing right now. And I think this episode perfectly captures it more than anything else. Um, and also, the same people were probably frustrated that Teeks wasn't in this episode. But to be honest, <laughs> I don't really know where he necessarily would have fit in, I think. Having someone like Nosarai was much better. And having Captain Akbar was an essential, essential individual if you're going to do um, a war a war arc in on Mon Calamari. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, let's let's talk about Lee Char. We haven't really talked about him yet. He's the main character from this arc. Um, I, I really liked his character, and I really liked his character arc. You know, we really see him grow over these episodes. He started off as sort of the uh, the fearful young prince, and at the end, he's the strong, respected by everyone king. Um. What did you think of, of seeing uh, Lee Char uh, over these episodes? Big, big fan in the end of Prince Lee Char. At the beginning, when I first saw it, for saw these episodes, and of course we would see them individually, not all together as an arc. Mm-hmm. In War to War, he was a bit of a whiny kid. What was the impression I got? I, didn't, I wasn't really a big fan uh, in the sense that he, he was obviously quite imprudent Um seemingly naive which of course i guess he would be he's only a young king but thrown into a, a, a calamitous war position um i didn't i the, the senator was probably didn't help that as well because <laughs> she was in, endorsing him being the, the chief military commander of the armed forces and then she later was telling him bad instructions bad advisement when she said to him oh it's time to dictate terms for a surrender i mean they survived merely they merely survived the battle by the skin of their teeth i don't think they're in any position to be dictating surrender terms if i'm being honest yeah. <laughs> so i think she needs to stay out the war zone more than anything else but anyway back to lee char i think this character it was quite it was it was compelling though and obviously we get to see how his how his story really developed and and as we alluded to earlier akbar was clearly an inspirational and influential character individual who actually who actually helped to transform 
Prince Lee Cha from being this naive, innocent, quite unwise individual into someone who was far more confident, nonchalant, and actually very insightful and perceptive, recognizing that actually, if they managed to gain the support of the quorum, then they would be able to turn the tide in this war. And actually, to have a bit of charisma, I think, about him by the end, the fact that people were willing to follow him, he was he was there up up on the front lines, and he was going up to people, um, you know, he would, like, for example, in in the prisoners episode in that prison camp, he he swam over to to one of the Moncala Moncala fish, if you want to call them that, and he and he put his fishy hands. <laughs> this sounds really strange, but anyway, he put his fishy <laughs> hands on on the other Moncala and said, "Have faith. When I return, you will see me as your king." Yeah. And that was something that I thought, yes, I, I almost pump my fist in the air. I was like, yeah, you go, Prince Lee Char, because yeah. that's the type of charisma and confidence that he needed. And I think by the climax of the Asark, you could really believe that people would be, would be willing and, and dedicate themselves to his cause. Um, I might have said quite a lot of points there, but oh, no, hopefully no, there's no. something you can talk about. Yeah, no, but I, well, what do you think of Prince Lee Char? First off, let me say I, I agree with you totally. I, I absolutely, I, I absolutely adored seeing his character uh, evolve over these episodes. And you know, I would have loved to have. I've seen more of him. I would have liked to have seen a, a see them go back to Moncala, and who knows, maybe they were planning to, um, and and seeing him again, and that would have been that would have been cool. Um, but alas, we didn't, and that he's still out there. Who knows? Maybe I like to think that Lee Char is out there. Him and him and Akbar are are leading some kind of rebel group on on, on Moncala, and and that's how. That's how, and they'll meet up with, 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 with the rebels at some point with, with Fulcrum and, and Bail Organa or whoever, whoever's in charge at this point and, and they'll join the rebellion because we know, we know Akbar's in there. Who knows? Maybe Lee Char, maybe Lee Char uh, is, is also uh, involved in the assault on, on the second Death Star. Maybe he, uh, maybe he, he sacrificed himself at some point during the war to, to fight the Empire. Who knows? But yeah, I, I he, it definitely, uh, you know, he seems like a strong character and a character that could be revisited at, at any point. Um, but yeah, yeah, I absolutely love seeing him. And I really liked seeing him interacting with Ahsoka, you know, because his, his story arc in, in some ways is is very similar to Ahsoka's. You know, they start off as sort of these almost an annoying youngsters at the beginning and they um, – they they grow into you know wise um, young young people uh, at the end of their stories you know with Ahsoka when she she walks away and with him when he becomes king and and it it's it was really cool to see them interacting and uh, and you know one it, it gave us sort of it showed us how much Ahsoka has grown and showed how she can how her growth can inspire growth in other characters you know. Uh, it it may it sort of shows why she would be chosen to to lead something like the gathering um because she has that ability that probably not all padawans of her age have to inspire and uh and show show the young jedi show young young people and young jedi how to uh how to unlock the greatness within themselves as corny as that sounds um you know and so i i thought that was really cool um what would you think of seeing ahsoka and lee char interacting together that was, that was a good point you you raised there it was something that i'd actually forgotten until you meant you mentioned it there actually but of course ahsoka she she has her own words of wisdom particularly mm-hmm. in the gungan attack episode when it's just her and him in that cave whilst they're hiding away from the from the separatists 
and she says that you know your leader has courage you need to be an inspiring figure and, and you will be and and she gives that encouragement towards him which i think was also important for his character because ultimately that was when he i think that was quite a, a big turning point in his character mm-hmm. in the sense that he stood up for himself and he went out that cave and blew that horn like like uh, gimli did in in the two towers lord of the rings and it just galvanized the troops together um didn't quite get the same response in fairness i think <laughs> soka was like okay the show's over now yeah <laughs> quite as, uh, as uh, invigorating as it was in two towers but anyway i'm not talking about lord of the rings talk about star wars clone wars so back to prince leecher and ahsoka i think that yeah their relationship was very very interesting as you said they had that synergy about them particularly in that final episode because it was in principle, just Ahsoka and Prince Lee Char. What I like about Ahsoka's character is that she was also willing to accept his his knowledge and his expertise when he came up with the plan to unite the Quarren, the Moncala, the Gungans and the clones. She went along with it. She trusted um, him. She trusted him to do it. Yeah. And that was something that we haven't necessarily seen in her character. We, we'd probably think if she was maybe two years younger she would have done her own things well i'm the jedi here you should be listening to what i have to say yeah i think that's something that's an important part of her growth yeah that seems like something she would have gotten from from obi-wan you know that's something i can see obi-wan doing like you know yeah yeah those two absolutely you know we we talked a lot um recently uh you know with the last two arcs with the the citadel and and the wookie hunt you know how much of is ahsoka learning from anakin and how much is she learning from from obi-wan and plo koon because you know she's around especially obi-wan she's around him a whole lot because you know him and anakin are are the you know the top top dogs when it comes to the jedi um uh, at least in the war it seems <laughs> or at least the characters we follow the most um and, and well, how, so, how much could you argue she learns from the the wookie hunt episodes well i well she I, she absolutely must have learned something from that i mean she led the uh she led the the Padawans, or the younglings, off the uh, into how to survive, and she basically does the Absolutely. same thing with Lee Char, and she she inspired the Padawans, and she inspired Lee Char. Mm-hmm. So we're really seeing her as this kind of this inspirational character, and really hope she shows up in Rebels. Really, really do because I feel like she could have a, a great impact on on both Kanan and, and Ezra. Watch, well, I, watch I, her I, show up. Watch her show up in like four weeks, and that comment is completely, uh, <laughs> completely irrelevant um, to anyone listening to this in the future. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, and time of recording, though, folks, yeah. we do not know whether she will be in it. Yeah. Although I do have suspicions that she will. I have. I just have an inkling. Fingers I don't know crossed. Yourself, Dominic. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, who knows? Um, yeah, where, where was I? But yeah, this this idea of of letting Lee Char, uh, letting him follow through on his plan, that definitely seemed like a very Obi Wan thing to do, um, to just to trust this person to know what what they're doing, and it's a it's a very wise thing to do, wise beyond her beyond her years, and uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really great. Uh, let's 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 talk about the Gungans. Let's talk about the Gungan army that shows up in this. Um, you know, after a brief thinking time by Boss Leone, <laughs> um, he goes that they they send the Gungan army, and and this is one of those times. And again, we'll see this in the next next arc as well uh, when we talk about Shadow Warrior. Um, you know, the uh, 
the Gungan army that we see in these episodes. And, you know, these, this episode and, and a few others from the series, they, they, you know, they remind us that, you know, while we think, when we think of Gungans, we tend to think of Jar Jar, who's very clumsy and, and silly and goofy. The, the Gungans themselves are fierce warriors that, <laughs> you know, they fight those battle droids in episode one for a pretty long time. They hold them off long enough, more or less. Um, you know, they are quite fierce warriors and we see them, you know, in these episodes getting to do that. Um, and I, I thought it was great that they called in the Gungans. I thought that was a nice touch for these episodes. Uh, I don't know about you. What you, what'd you think of the, uh, the Gungan rescue or the Gungan attack in, in these episodes? It was, it was a neat idea and I definitely enjoyed seeing the Gungans coming into a clearly aquatic world. It was very much suited for them to, to intervene. It was, it was also good because it, it gives you the impression that the Republic does not have unlimited resources at its mm-hmm. disposal. And that was quite obvious with the fact that they couldn't just send a, a bunch of clone troopers there to, to save the day or, or spare any Jedi to also aid in the attack. It, it showed that they needed someone who was you know, a species who was close to or in close proximity to Mon Calamari, but also one who was amphibian. Mm-hmm. And they got it just spot on with the, with the Gungans. And I think it was great to see, as you said, the fierce warriors of the Gungan tribes. Because they are. They are fierce warriors. And unfortunately, people, they get a distorted interpretation of the, of the Gungans because of Jar Jar. Um, because Jar Jar is seemingly, as, as Rift Tamsin puts it, a, a bumbling, a, a bumbling oh, amphibian. amphibian. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it, it's supposed to construe that all Gungans are like that. And we've seen through the series that just by examining one individual, one personality from a species does not mean that they're all equally the same. That's obvious with Watto as a junk dealer. It doesn't mean that all Toydarians are junk dealers. And that's something that people misconstrue quite quite appallingly, I would say, when it comes to the Gungans. As you said, and as we will see in the next particular episode in Shadow Warrior, they are fierce warriors, and they're able to hold against the droid armies themselves. They're native warriors. They don't, they're don't. they not a clone army, no, no stretch of imagination, but nevertheless, they're still... I'd, I'd still want to have them joining in on a fight more than some other groups. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I want to bring in, say, the Pandorans. I don't know if they'd be as good. <laughs> Um, so I think, yeah, putting, these in, putting them in, in this episode was very good. And I also think that it was apt, it was fitting, it wasn't forced. Sometimes they, it can be sh- a bit of a struggle because it seems a bit, oh, why, why do they have to be in there? It doesn't quite work out. You know, sometimes if you put maybe Jar Jar in an episode, you think, well, okay, you know, we do like Jar Jar, but does it really fit into this episode? What's it bringing? For the Gungans, it really did. And, and it was important, as I said, by the end. It was the fact that there was a combination of Moncala, Quarren, Gungans, and clone troopers that really helped them turn the tide. And also, it really did turn the tide in the Gungan attack when, were it not for the secret weapons or the, the reinforcements that Dooku had sent to Tamsin, then they might well have succeeded in their attack. So I think, yeah, they, they really did work. And, and what, what's your thoughts, though? Dominic, have yeah. you got any particular opinions yeah. on the Gungans? Well, I, I agree with everything you said. I thought they were, I thought it was, they were well used. It made sense. They didn't seem forced. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, it shows that the Republic doesn't have unlimited resources. But what I really loved was the um, the Jedi War Council meeting there, where they decide to bring in the Gungans. 
I feel like in that scene, everybody or Yoda and 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 Cisse, Tan, and and probably a few other Jedi in that scene knew what they they were all thinking the same thing, but none of them wanted to be the ones to say it. They wanted to see. They wanted to like confuse everybody and have somebody else puzzle it out because you know Yoda sort of goes, mm, "We need a we need just as underquarters water species that nearby to attack." And you know, Cisse Ten sort of repeats that in a sort of a ponderous way, but they all seem to think that it's like they know what's going on, and it's almost like it's a test for everybody else in there or some kind of mind game that they're playing, where it's like who's going to be the one to not get it this week and be the first one to say it out loud. And, and it turned out to be Obi-Wan in this case. It just seemed, it seemed, uh, it, it seemed a bit odd. It, it seemed a bit funny. Like they were playing mind games with each other. Like this is something that goes on in the Jedi council. Like they, nobody, they all think the same thing and they just want to see who's the person that doesn't, that, that doesn't think of it right away. And cause that well, person to be honest, will be the one to, to blurt it out loud. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was just a test for Obi-Wan after his last escapade in the in episode two when he had to go to that youngling class for them to try and find <laughs> that. And it, maybe it was just for Obi-Wan to see if he can figure it out. Yeah, they're, they're like, all just playing a little bit dumb, like, hmm, a, a nearby planet that has an underwater species. I wonder what that could be. And then all eyes turn to Obi-Wan. Can he get it right? Can he get it right? And he can says, Naboo, and, and inside they're like, yes, he's they're like he better be able to get this one right you know he, he's been to this <laughs> exactly. planet so many times it's just like question one in the exam paper isn't it like if you can't get this right obi-wan then you have to start get get back in the revision classes again it's not good enough is it a naboo b <laughs> yeah. tatooine c mustafar or d all of the above <laughs> oh all oh, of the above oh, oh, it's all of the above don't read don't don't um uh anyway sorry i just thought that scene was was amusing um well let's kind of circle back and, and talk a bit about um riff tamsin and the separatists and really I, I we see them in this these episodes really destroying everything on on Moncala. i mean they are you know we have those we have the hydroid medusas and then there are the the squid ships that are making those little typhoons or, or, or um, tornadoes in the water that are, are really killing a lot of a lot of these uh, Moncala and Quarren and and you know Rift Tamsin himself is is running is smashing his head into things and and, and destroying stuff and th- these are the some of the first episodes where we see blood and I mean they're there I mean sometimes they use bubbles but you know at the end there when when Lee Char kills Lee, Riff Tamsin, you know, his smile, you son of a bith, right out of Jaws. Um, he, he, uh, he, he, like, blows him up with, and you see chunks of Riff Tamsin and, and, uh, and, and blood everywhere. It was really a, is a, a darker episode in, in, in some ways than we'd really ever seen before. Yeah, just in the destruction and, and then the torture of, 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 uh, of, of Anakin and Kit Fisto. I mean, they're Jedi, but then you have, you know, Riff Tamsin puts the the crack in Padme's helmet and and then of course you get the great scene with Jar Jar's um Gungan waterproofing <laughs> but it it all comes back around to this uh very dark uh uh concept of this that the separatists of the separatists really there's a lot of death in these episodes and a lot more obvious than in than in even some of the other war episodes absolutely 
Absolutely. I think as well that it was, as you said, it's very sinister, gloomy complexion to this particular arc, I think. Um, the word that you've, was there, you've used there, dark, is certainly apt for this arc. As we seem to be saying in a lot of previous arcs, but I think it just demonstrates how far the Clone Wars team are willing to go. I think this is up there with one of the most brutal and oh, ominous yeah. arcs we've seen in a, in a long time. Um, I, I was thinking that as I was going through, as though if this was live action, I you know it could be getting a twelve or maybe you know oh, maybe not yeah. fifteen, but but it may, maybe a fifteen actually if you think about it. You got you got the scene at the end there with Tamsin with those exploding knives. I mean, that's yeah. a bit much, ain't it? Stab, I thought stabbing them was bad enough. I didn't know afterwards they were going to actually explode. Yeah, and some of those were still alive and they were animated as well. And as you said, it was just complete destruction of an entire planet. Those, um, the Trident class assault droids as well, which were obviously creating those whirlpools. Yeah, um, in, in that end of the second episode, which was which was absolutely astonishing, really, wasn't it? It was creating so much damage, and you really did feel that the ca- characters were were threatened. Um, and there was even that scene in Water War when Anakin's helmet obviously fell yeah. off. Debatable whether he should have used a force just to pick that up. But nevertheless, the the concept of not being able to breathe underwater is something which, of course, would be quite frightening if you're an audience viewer. And I think there were so many elements there. It's the environment and the fact as well that you actually had a shark as a villain. It, it yeah. really did work. And I, I, I think that if you were, a, a I guess, a, a younger generation who was actually viewing these episodes... I don't know, but I would expect it would have been quite a, a frightening spectacle, I have to say. As we said, a lot of ominous, foreboding moments in these in these episodes, but it definitely worked. And sometimes you do need that, though. Not all the time, but you you do need it. And I actually think that this was the the commencement of a of a trend that was to take place in season four. These dark, ominous, sinister episodes. I mean, the later ones with Umbara, the Zygerians, the Darth Maul arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, you start looking at it now, season four, there's a lot of a lot of sinister and dark arcs, I have to say. And oh, yeah. I think, as I said, this was the start of a trend. Um, very, very... As I, as, as, what was the subtitle? Battle Lines, wasn't it, for season four? Yeah. And it's certainly apt with this arc. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really, like you said, like we've been saying, so much destruction, I... I, I, you know, just thinking about it, you know, you mentioned, you know, we say that a lot that, you know, that every time it seems that the Clone Wars kicks it up and not, you know, I, it, it's, it just speaks that, you know, how the show constantly evolved. It never stayed put. It, it never sort of saw, said, okay, here's our ceiling in terms of, uh, of violence or, or, or how far we're willing to go. Uh, and it always was pushing those, those limits and, and we'll see it continue to push those limits with, you know, four beheadings in one swing of the lightsaber in a few episodes. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and, you know, it, you know, we think back on those early seasons, and yeah, they, they do have some uh, some moments of, 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 of really dark stuff, of, of, you know, lightsabers through the back and, and whatnot, but this, nothing quite like this. And, and, you know, I think sometimes when we think back on the series, we forget um, just how dark it could be at times like i don't i don't think of these episodes as particularly dark until i'm watching them like wow there's a lot of people dying (laughs) it's it's... well as well if you compare it to rebels i know a lot of people are saying that that's quite mature for the the particular audience age that it's it's being put out for 
But I don't know if anything really, possibly the the Luminara, um, you know, the whole Jedi trap there was a was quite you know frightening and a bit dark. But I still think that the episodes we we have well, in this arc and what we are later to see are darker than that. And there's some really, really sinister and ominous stuff that has been put down the pipeworks from the Clone Wars team. And, I mean, another great moment, which I didn't actually mention, was in that first episode, the whole chase scene between Rift Tams and Ahsoka and Prince Lee Char, when they're in that tube, and then mm-hmm. Rift Tamsin's coming at it, and he's just absolutely smashing it, and then he cracks open, doesn't he, the glass, and his head is just uh, reaching for him, isn't it? And it's... Yeah. That's 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 a great great image, but it's, it's right out of that's Jaws. Awesome. That's exactly exactly, and and the fact that you just see his face right up against the screen, and it's you know, full screen on your laptop. It's just him with his jaw open, ready to whatever he's going to do. Clearly, bite off Prince Lee Charles' head by the look yeah. of it. <laughs> um, and there were a couple of those moments um, throughout this arc, which I thought were, but they, they were very effective. And that's the point that we want to make here is that we're not you know, dismissing it at all, but we're just pointing out that this is actually a very, very sinister moment that the Clone Wars have actually implemented into the series. And for those who, again, label this as a kid's show, by season four, there's no way I can say that this is a kid's show. Even by the end, when we see, the end of season three, when we see the Citadel arc and, oh, yeah. the, and the Trandoshan hunting the Jedi... It's that was really the start of it, in my opinion, of what was to later develop into some truly horrific stories. And I guess that's what we should be expecting, though. It's called Star Wars. The yeah. Clone Wars. Wars comes up twice in the name of this title. Of course, you're going to see some quite sinister and, and barbaric moments. And certainly we have. But it, as I said, it worked. It worked excellently. So we'll... Uh, I don't know. Have you got any other comments to add on to that? No, no I was just going to ask if you had anything else you wanted to bring up about uh, about these episodes. Um, in terms of the episodes, well, maybe a little bit. I, I, it wasn't really touched upon too much, but I always think it's interesting whenever we see Anakin and Padme. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you if you saw anything in particular with with partic- maybe in the prisoners arc with how the relationship between Anakin and, and Padme. In has, the, the, the has progressed the last, the last episode there. Uh, well, particularly in uh, yeah, I mean yeah. the fact that it hasn't really been touched upon, I think, is actually quite an interesting point in itself. Well, the fact I, I, that Anakin I, isn't there saying, "Oh, Padme," which you usually see in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we see in in these episodes them, you know, behaving themselves, and I, I think that's that's rare, and you know, it's kind of what they're they're supposed to do. And they're supposed to act like Jedi and Senator, and and they do that. I mean, you know, and you know, it helps that they're in a war zone where they they have to be close just in general. Um, but overall, they do kind of they they like I said, they behave themselves even when um, even when Padme's helmet gets damaged. Uh, you know, they're 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 trying to save a senator, and you know, Kit Fisto uh, doesn't he, he doesn't seem to react too much to uh, to Anakin's. Uh, uh, you know, reaction to Padme being 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 you know in danger like that. I think he just thinks, you know, this is a senator. We 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 can't let the senator die. This this would be a a huge uh, huge blow to the Republic. It would it would probably they probably realize that it would lead the Senate to retaliate. 
uh, on the, the separatists and they, they don't really want that. Um, and so he, he, he's probably thinking, uh, you know, Fist was probably thinking more in a, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say like logical, uh, sense, but I, I think he's, uh, um, they're just, I, I think he's thinking, uh, in the, as she's just a senator, and I think he, in that moment, he probably assumes Anakin is thinking that as well. I don't think he suspects anything uh, between Anakin and, and Padme in in this moment. I, I don't know. What did you think of, of them in in this arc? Yeah, I, I definitely echo a lot of your sentiments there, Dominic. I particularly enjoyed the fact that in this arc, it was principally focused upon the Mon Cala story. Obviously. Um, well, there were moments yeah. between Anakin and Padme, but they, they they were obviously involved in what was going on with Prince Lee Char and, and Admiral Akbar. But the fact that they didn't necessarily have too many seemingly uncharacteristic moments between what you would expect from a Jedi and Senator if you, you were a neutral party, I think that was the point that was quite interesting. And, and, and in a way, I thought it was quite curious that they didn't have those moments in there because usually you would see like in the Destroy Malevolence episode and they're having a kiss in the middle of a train yeah. while they're trying to get off the Malevolence ship. Well, and, it, it's, it's hard to do that when you have, it's hard to do that when you have those those bubble helmets on. You know, they can Granted, smack the glass. Like, like, yeah. Smack the glass. Well, the, the <laughs> point was though, at least they at least they seem to be doing relatively um, expected things yeah from a, from a like, jedi and a senator which behave themselves it, exactly exactly and i think that's that's not something we really see <laughs> them <happen> down the <laughs> line but it, it was quite refreshing to to actually witness both anakin and padme as you said they're behaving themselves yeah. And, yeah. and focusing on the mission at hand because there were a couple of times when you you might have thought to yourself that Anakin might have lost it a little bit when Rift Tamsin obviously cracks open the helmet, when Padme gets sucked into the whirlpool. There are a couple of instances like that, but nothing too much was made of it. And I think that was good, though, because, as I said, the, the emphasis and un- underlining feature of this arc was, or underlining premise of this arc, was ultimately on the Mon Cala and Quarren story. And I'm glad that it wasn't really detracted by Anakin and Padme. Yeah, that's the point I really wanted to make, and I thought was was a good thing. Yeah, and really added to this arc in a way because sometimes it can work, but sometimes it's not going to be as effective to put it into every single episode. And clearly, the wartime situation was of the most significant. Uh, it was the most important factor and in, in component in this arc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to think that. This is how they behave most of the time, and when we see them, uh, you know, fighting and 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 whatnot, that's them at their worst. And you know, we we tend to see them at their worst because that's, you know, most interesting because we know where it's going. Um, but in in this scenario, uh, it seems that they are that they're behaving how they would most of the time, uh, because if they were constantly they they only acted the way we saw them act in say the Clovis arc or, or or something like that. Then you might have more of a sense of you, you know more people would know more people would suspect something's going on than just maybe Yoda and Obi Wan and Bale, maybe Mon Mothma. Yeah, but you know it it, it does seem like it's a like this is how they should normally behave. 
Yeah. Well, you wonder if Anakin actually, I don't know how how the Republic assigned Jedi and Senators to this mission, but you wonder maybe if Anakin put his hand up to volunteer when he found out that Padme was oh, getting I'm, involved. I'm, I'm because sure ultimately to, Not just to see her, but perhaps also to guard and protect her, realising that this was quite a perilous and, and dangerous assignment at work here, so yeah. he wanted plus, to, to be at her side. Yeah, plus we know how Anakin can be with he just... he. You know, he doesn't necessarily trust her, even though he probably should to, to defend herself. I mean, like, you know, we've seen yeah. that she can hold her own, but he still doesn't quite trust that ability. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on and, and give some uh, favorite quotes from these episodes. Uh, Kieran, do you are you ready or, or, or shall I go first? Uh, no, I am. Um usually ready and i am today <laughs> oh good uh, there are there are, there are a couple of these lines which made me laugh because they seemed quite ironic or at least there was dramatic irony attached to them mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll do one from water war and i'll hand over to you and vice versa okay. but the first one i got from water war was when prince lee charles talking with his advisors and everyone in that parliament and he says, I do not believe the Quarren will attack. <laughs> and then the next shot immediately after is, is Rift Tamsin with the Quarren army at his back saying, attack! And I'm yeah. just thinking, oh no. Uh, it just demonstrated a poor naivety of, of Prince Leechar. But then it was also followed by that excellent Akbar quote, it's, it's an attack. It's an attack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to go with an Akbar quote from, from Water from Water War as well. Um, you mentioned this one earlier in the episode, and he says, uh, Soldiers of Mon Calamari, this is your home. Do not let it fall. I, I love that, and I remember hearing that, that uh, this is your home, do not let it fall in the in the the first teasers for season four, and, and thinking yeah. that was just a great, great moment. And, uh, and it turned out to be a great moment in the episode as well. So I'll throw it back oh, to yeah. you for a Gungan attack. Um, I unfortunately have not got one from Gungan attack. I wasn't. All I right. wasn't a, but, but, but you can have oh, Gungan okay. attack. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go Gungan attack. It's it's a classic Jar Jar. What? Misa can't hear you since me ears since we submergified or whatever that one was. I can't remember what it exactly <laughs> was, but it was something about Misa not hear so good since we submergified. I, I, I quite enjoyed that, and I just wanted to do the jar. <laughs> so um, back to no, you. that was very apt. Back to you for for prisoners. <laughs> well, actually, before that, I've got I did have a oh, second good. one from Water War oh, good, that I will good. do in its place, and then I'll hand over to you for prisoners. Okay. See how organised we are, folks. We're yeah. just doing it as very spontaneous. Anyhow, final quote I've got from the Water War episode was actually the the final quote of the episode, which was Akbar talking to Prince Lee Char, and he says, "You've learned the hardest lesson a commander can learn." That is how to live to fight another day, which I thought was a good message to send to to the audience at the end of quite a dramatic and, as I said, devastating arc for the Mon Calamarians. Yeah. Anyhow, back to you for prisoners. I love all the Akbar quotes that are going around, but here, here's a here's a not Akbar one. Um, is it's from the beginning of of prisoners when uh Rift Hamson, when you know Padme, Anakin, Jar Jar, and Kefisto are all captured and and um and Rift Hamson says uh says a Jedi, two Jedi, a senator, and a 
bumbling amphibian. I would have thought the prince would have been harder to capture than the four of you. And Anakin says, it must be part of our plan. Drift Hans <laughs> says, yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I love that. And the delivery from Matt Lanter in, in that scene of it must be part of our plan was so perfect. So well, so well uh, acted by, by Mr. Lanter. So, uh, bravo. <laughs> I mean, he has some gr- great lines, I have to say. Yeah. Again, he may not have been the focal point in, in this episode particularly, Anakin, but he did play a good role. He played... Um, he did play an important role to an extent. And the final one I've got is also quite a humorous one. It's a, it's an exchange between him and Ahsoka yes. when, when they're watching. Oh, you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. When they're, when they're watching the executioner about to. Anakin says, good job protecting the prince. And then Ahsoka says, all part of the plan, master. Which Anakin retorts. Well, that is what I was hoping you were going to say. Is there anything I can do? And Ahsoka replies, unfortunately, this time it's out of our hands. And Anakin says, I'm not sure I like this plan after all. <laughs> Which I just thought was great, actually. The little bit of banter between Master and Apprentice, but also treating them as Master and Apprentice, which was rather than, you know, lambasting or, or condoning snips for her actions. It was yeah. a little bit of humour there, which works. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was good to get to see. It's like this this episode arc was so full of, of so many characters that, you know, the the focus was obviously on Lee Char and, and Akbar and Nosarai and, and Tamsin, but we get nice little moments from, from a whole bunch of bunch of other characters um that are in this episode. And you know, we talk about the the Jar Jar moments and the, the Anakin and Ahsoka and the Anakin Padme and the Kit Fisto moments. It's great. It's great. All right, so that will about wrap things up for this week. Let's uh, let's give our final thoughts and a score out of 10 for these episodes. Uh, Kieran, why don't you go first? Okay, final thoughts on the Mon Cala arc. It was a phenomenal arc, let's be honest. Yeah. Great way to inaugurate the Season 4 of The Clone Wars. It just worked perfectly in my opinion there were so many good moments as i said at the beginning it was just a great great action piece to really settle everyone back into the clone wars this is what we're talking about but it also showed how actually the animation was developing so well to obviously move on from season three and you and you start season four with an absolute bang a bombshell with this arc of course we talked about it captain akbar definitely my favorite character in this arc he had so many good moments and so many great lines and as i said an inspiring diplomat but also an inspiring military commander and i think that was something which was great to see at the beginning of season four and obviously with the mon Cala arc and also, I do want to make a mention of Rift Hansen, voiced by Gary Williams. I have to say that he did a very, very good job. I like Rift Hansen, actually. I think, although we are getting into this mould now where we have a particular villain for one arc and he usually bites the dust by the end of the arc, I still really enjoy his character. And at least they do have these compelling and quite fascinating villains to add to these arcs. It really does build a lot in my opinion to to in, to actually developing the story very very well so to come to a climax 
I think overall, as I've said, an outstanding arc, great way to open season four, so many more like these down the line, and of course it deserves its title, Battle Lines, for the start of season four, so therefore it gives a rating, I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a rating of nine out of ten. Good yeah. start, great start to season four. Dominic, over to you. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this arc as well. I, I thought it was a, a, a lot of fun, a lot of cool stuff that happened, a lot of and, and very visually interesting as well. It was it was a different kind of look. We see uh, we see these characters underwater for the whole time. We see bubbles and, and all kinds of cool stuff and, and these, these underwater buildings. We see Anakin basically take out a whole building with the force, which was pretty cool. Uh, it was it was great to see Kip Visto again in a, a, a co-starring role. Um, you know, see him in action. Um, some phenomenal animation. There's one shot uh, when the Republic ship blows up. I swear that that they they um, that that that's live action. <laughs> There's one shot where I swear they tried to emulate live action animation. And, and I don't know. They they, they they stuck it into the trailer or into the episode by mistake. <laughs> I mean, because I remember I remember seeing a still of that, uh, and somebody said it was from the episode. I, I remember thinking for sure that it was from. Uh, Red Tails, which was, which was George Lucas' movie that was coming out around the same time as, as these episodes, uh, which was which was cool. Uh, I, I, yeah, overall, um, really, really great stuff. Really great score from Kevin Kiner. Absolutely uh, adored it. Um, he did a great job, as usual. Uh, really well written. Lots of new characters that you know would like to see more of. Uh, no Sarai, Lee Char, uh, and of course, also great to see Captain Akbar in action. Saw, seeing the man he was before he became the uh, the uh, leader of the Rebel Alliance in Episode Six. Um, so yeah, for me, I will give this this arc a, a solid uh, eight point five out of ten. Uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, looking forward to what we have coming up next. So that will wrap things up for this week uh, here on the Clone Wars Strikes Back. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Uh, you can catch new episodes of this show. Uh, on iTunes by subscribing to the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. That's where you'll get this show and my other show, the Star Wars Underworld, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, we we uh, New episodes come out uh, every other Tuesday, though. Uh, not sure when we'll, we'll be recording another episode of this, just because uh, things are going to get crazy. So if we don't we don't talk to you guys uh, until, until January, I um, ha- hope everybody has a, a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, no matter what you're celebrating. Happy Festivus. Um, and of course, a happy and safe New Year, New Year, and we'll uh, talk to you guys uh, in 2015 as we, uh, like I said, we race towards the end of the Clone Wars uh, again. <laughs> oh, that's not about, uh, not, let's not think about that yet. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Clone Wars Strikes Back. If you want to, if you want to keep up with any new Clone Wars stuff that's happening, or if you want to keep a little bit of Clone Wars uh, stuff in your Facebook newsfeed. That is the place to be, uh, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back. Also, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back, at DominicJ25, at CWN6. Uh, and uh, yeah, that way you'll uh, keep up with everything we're up to. Uh, Karen, why don't you let us know what's coming up on Expression FM? Well, as Dominic has just said there, that we may have to wind down for Christmas. So does Expression FM. And I would also just say beforehand, happy holidays to everyone who listens. And I'm sure you will have great festive season. And we will definitely look forward to getting these episodes out as soon as we can. 
Back to Expression FM, though. As I said, we are wrapping up for the Christmas holidays, but it does mean that we have one final week of just great Christmas tunes. Nice. However, the last sports show did take place this past Saturday, and released along with that was an Expression Sport Christmas song. And <laughs> it does actually feature me in that song singing, which is... Which is which is actually, it leaves a lot to be desired, I would say. I'm not so sure whether we would... Here, wait, here's, wait. here's the thing. No matter what it is, it's better than when I sing. So, you know. <laughs> well, all I will say is it's probably not quite like band days where they get a lot of acts coming together to do one song. <laughs> we just get a load of people who can't sing to do a song, and that's kind of how it works. And so that's that might be a bit of a treat for you listeners to to actually tune into I guess. We have to do an S W U version of this. We have to do this now. That that there we go. We're With putting you, it out there. If you're listening to this, message Chris, message Ben, get on the Facebook groups and, and just put it out there for a and, and a Star Wars Underworld Star Christmas song or something like that. That that wouldn't be a bad shout. And the final and the final point to make of expression, I guess, is that we've got, we do, well, me and my co-host Will Short for the time for pop, which is on Thursdays, 12pm till 2pm British time, so that'll be, as I said, 7pm or around about that time for you guys in America and Canada. Please Eastern. do, in Eastern time, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. I, see, I still don't understand the, the, the timing system for you guys across the Atlantic. Anyhow... Um, please do tune into that if you're around. We will be doing a great Christmas finale. Got some great guests that we'll be bringing on. And as it said, it will just be Christmas field, Christmas songs galore. A great way to cap off what has been quite a busy term for for all of us. Not just me, but Dominic's had a very busy uni term as well. We've had a busy Star Wars. you tell you what, if you're going to put a term and label this as a Star Wars term, it has been probably one of the busiest. Not just for yeah. Clone Wars, but for Star Wars in general. Not not at least with the fact that the Force Awakens teaser trailer was released a couple of weeks ago. I can't believe to think that it was only probably a month ago that we even heard the title and now we're talking about trailers so there we go unbelievable scenes cannot wait to get back involved in this but dominic you've got your own show that you surely want to be disclosing to audience members yes uh you know clone wars strikes back maybe going on on a christmas break we we don't quite know uh when that will start it could start as soon as this episode as soon as this episode is over uh we may be able to squeeze one more recording in uh keep keep an eye on the facebook pages and twitters and whatnot and we'll keep you up to date on that but uh, one show that will not be going on on, on holiday break is the Star Wars Underworld podcast. We've got uh, that's myself uh, and my co-host uh, Chris and Ben talking all things Star Wars, uh, talking about the news. Of course, we we just uh, released our our reaction to the uh, <laughs> uh, the the Force Awakens trailer that Kieran mentioned. Uh, Ninety minutes talking about an eighty-eight second trailer. <laughs> it's it's fun though. There's a lot of cool stuff. It's exciting to talk about new Star Wars films that are coming down. Uh, this next episode that we'll be recording live on Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern on Channel 1138, uh, and then released on Friday. This next one, uh, which will be recorded uh, Thursday the 11th of December, uh, Kieran's actually going to be on, and we're going to be talking about the Tarkin novel written by James Lucino. We're looking forward to talking about that. Uh, it'll be an interesting discussion. A lot of cool stuff in that book to talk about, and we can't wait to do so and like i said off the top you can you never miss an episode of that show or this show by subscribing to the star wars underworld on itunes on itunes this is the show's of course spinoff of the star wars underworld um, 
it may take Star Wars until 2016 to get their first standalone film out there. Uh, we did it in 2012. <laughs> um, uh, but what, what, no, it wasn't 2012. That was 2013 is when we started. I confused myself there confusing myself with the years. This is what happens at the end of the year, and now I'm just rambling. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, like I said, have a safe holiday. Uh, have a happy holiday if we don't talk to you before then. Uh, uh, and, of course, the force be with you. <laughs>